0: Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Offshore Insights podcast, where we share captivating individuals and stories connected by water. I'm your host, Evan Luth. We're stoked you could join us today, and I hope you enjoy your listening experience. End up being a really nice day.
1: Yeah,
0: it's it was kind of funky this
1: morning.
0: is sneaky, is sneaky, I know. It's like it's so delicious and it doesn't taste fermented at all. Um, yeah, so we'll 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 take it from the top. But from we'll top. you know you know we <laughs> 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 you know how to steer clear of some weeds. <laughs> And yeah, I'll try and try and expedite it more or less. The so, you know. <laughs> Welcome to the Offshore Insights podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank um you. I just wanted to start off asking you a little bit about where you grew up and 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 your perspectives growing up as a young surfer and how you looked at surfing and and possible avenues or options for what you could pursue as well as what it meant to you at the time.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in. Hilo, Hawaii, um, that's on the big island on the eastern coast of the easternmost Hawaiian island. Um, I grew up surfing a river mouth wave called Honolii, and it's a really cool wave. There's there's different breaks there. There's the inside, there's you know middles that goes out, and then there's privates, and there's a river that kind of makes a channel between middles and the point, and the point is kind of the premier peak out There, um, that's pretty much the spot where everyone wants to get good enough to surf. You basically, you start on the inside, you get enough courage to start paddling out to the outside, mids, and then privates. And when you feel you're you're competent enough, you head to the point. And um, kind of all the other breaks are just kind of cobblestone, and the point has actually a reef out there, so it'll barrel and it gets shallow. Um, I wouldn't say it's an ultra-critical wave, but um, there's definitely a, a high level of surfing that goes on out there. And what's interesting is that from every break, um, the inside, mids, and privates, you can see the point really well. So it, it kind of has a very um, interesting setup where that's everyone can see the point. Everyone sees every wave that's caught at the point. And it's one of those things where everyone wants to surf the point one day. And that's kind of the i mean that that's basically how how you grew up surfing you start on the inside you head out and there's no there's not really like oh my friend is the guy that surfs out of the point that i can surf it's if you're good enough to surf out there you go out and you surf out there and and that's kind of how it was growing up and there's definitely um there's guys out there that would like you know there's sometimes there's aggression and violence but for the most part the wave took care of itself it wasn't there wasn't a lot of random people paddling out because there's a level of respect yeah. for the point Self-regulating, and regulating yeah. it it's i mean i know there's like that in every surf break and stuff but in this particular I, I really i think i grew up in a special time where it wasn't like people were like hitting each other a lot and it wasn't really violent it's a family beach it just the the surfers were that good out at the point they're amazing surfers that you wanted to watch them so it's like just a great place to to watch some of the best surfing go down Dude, an arena yeah the, it the, it's yeah. it's just it's a great place and yeah and i grew up wanting to surf the point one day yeah and, sure
0: and yeah like like you know you writes a passage working your way out oh yeah. yeah
1: and and still I, I i find myself even when i go home i watch uh-huh. i watch from mids and uh-huh. i'm still watching sure. guys get amazing waves so it's like it's it's humbling and it's a real cool place yeah. to grow up special place
0: and it sounds like a bit of a, a catch-all for the community in terms of it being a family beach as well as like you said that elite surfers and
1: sure yeah. actually growing up when i first started surfing that way it, it was kind of like a lot of i mean there was good everyone's a good person really but there's a lot of derelicts sure. that hung out there sure. It's uh they hung out and the the beach was there was a lot of weeds down there and there wasn't very it wasn't kind of maintained there's a pavilion and there's a lifeguard tower but essentially it was kind of just the guys on the guardrail up at the top and people would just camp in the bushes or the, it was just kind of the coastline but um, I, I don't remember exactly when but it was sometime when I started to get older um there's a man Uncle Skibbs, he and um ethan butts and skipper butts they went down to the beach and they started really cleaning up the beach and they started clearing out all the weeds cutting trees and and really transformed Mm. the park Mm. into well just the beach into a park Mm. and that he got a lot of the kids involved to help clean and it was a really good way to get people to put time back into the the beach break and now it's it's a Beautiful, beautiful park wow. where there's a bunch of native trees planted yeah. there. It's maintained. It's yeah. uh, when Uncle Skibbs has become kind of a, a caretaker, sure. and also Uncle Ethan. They yeah. they are now kind of people that have transformed kind of this this like basic beach into really a, a place where it, it's a beautiful place to take your family. It's yeah. a safe place. It always was safe, but now it's actually there's a space for people to go down and just. Relax and see the amazing surfing go down, but also see the amazing trees, native Hawaiian trees that we have, and and just there's a park now. And I think that's something that is like so amazing that it was, it wasn't someone from the outside that came and said, "Oh, you guys should take care of your beach. You guys should do this." It was really came from within. A member of our community was like, "It's time to clean this up," Mm. and everyone respects it. There's like family competitions there and it's a safe place it's not one of these places where like there's definitely there can be trouble down there sometimes but for the most part everyone feels safe it's a safe family
0: and what a cool example of you know just when like you said when it does come from internal and from the roots like you know putting a little bit effort back into something what you can cultivate out of that you know and just having that example growing up you know like oh okay if you just you know change the way you look at this and contribute to give back a little there's a lot more reward to be reaped
1: fully yeah. yeah yeah it's a it's a great place
0: and i'm sure no shortage of, of amazing and raw talents you know that that you grew up watching and and still i'm sure
1: fully yeah i mean hilo you know in comparison to other parts of the big island i would say um there's not a lot of um i would say at Growing up, there was a lot of industry, surf industry sure. support in yeah. really any industry. You know, the Hilo town—it's pretty much an an agricultural town. Hmm. Um, we don't really rely as much on tourism. Mm-hmm. A lot of it comes from farming mm-hmm. or fishing or, or small trees. businesses. Yeah. So this is kind of where people make their their living. Um, trying to be creative. I mean, a lot of people they are they do sports or they paddle. They sail, they surf it's a everyone does something mm. you know it, there's rare it's rare to find someone who just goes to work and then just goes home sure you know, everyone sure. has some type of contribution outside of it because there's not like we don't have like nightclubs or bars or really anything we have community work family and surf yeah and that's pretty much what keeps keeps us busy and it's interesting that when I came to California it was uh it was interesting to see where everyone had to go somewhere outside of their community to experience something. I mean not everyone but a lot of people. And the party was never at the house, the party was never at the beach. It was and I know there's exceptions, there's people that do that, but a lot of times it's going to either the bar or to the concert or to a, a gathering place mm-hmm. where it's just a different gathering place than what I was used to. And that was definitely a culture difference. Well, and I
0: mean, you growing up being naturally gifted as a waterman and a surfer and, but also maybe being a little less concerned with specifically the selfish pursuits of surfing, you know, and being a little more, I guess, you know, um, caught up in just whatever the fun and the play and the beauty of, of what, you know, the collective experience had to offer. You know, I'm sure you saw some contrast between, kids that were your age who took a different route and and were like we're gonna do this full time and be competitive and um what, what was that like for you growing up just kind of comparing contrasting the ways that you could pursue your surfing and your options that were laid before you
1: yeah i think you give me too much credit about being a <laughs> <to> water <laughs> man and stuff like that i definitely oh, no, man. i definitely had to I, I find it hard to believe otherwise <laughs> i mean i i grew up in reality and honestly i, I grew up just like every kid you know i I was just taken to the beach and there was kids that were, I would say, truly gifted. And they were, they just had this natural athleticism. And I would say maybe we all had the same understanding Mm. of how the ocean worked and how the the world worked in in our lives as children. But there's just some things about, you know, I have a, I have a real close friend that, um, unfortunately made some some poor decisions which resulted in him being a part of the incarceration system but yeah. he he was given a surfboard or a boogie board or fins or no fins and he just he blew minds mm. you know and I, and I think a lot of people at least from the big island would know who this individual is that he was seen as just not natu- the the natural gift of being able to put himself in situations where the rest of us were were just trying to figure out how to get sure. there yeah and he was a lot younger than us and he was mm. just a kid and wow. that is was really there's a lot of people like that at home and it came down to what are kind of what's your support group who are the people that you really look up to mm. and that can really have an impact on your choices that you make and i guess i was just fortunate enough to be Privileged mm. to be raised in a family who valued education. Sure, sure. Know? And that was one of the main things that kind of supported that was my dad taking us to the library. Right. My mom, we would get a book from the library and my mom would read to us. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like we had computers or really a lot of um, financial support for education. It was more that we were taken to the library. We were kind of show that you can go out and gain knowledge outside of just waiting for knowledge to be given to you, which is, is pretty pretty common right now. I think feel like people wait for the thing to just be given to you. Sure. I'm just going to, even growing up in, in, in our generation, it's like, well, I'll just wait till the, the information is given to me and I'll just go along and fumble through life where being able to give an opportunity to pursue information mm, through the library. Yeah. That this is pre-Google and all right, that stuff right. this no is, you could
0: actually do your research you yeah. gotta
1: and, and I would have never actually wanted to go to the library if sure. my dad didn't say like we're going and we only have like one car we yeah. all stayed at home yeah. all the time it was like when you were leaving the house it was yeah. like i'm coming with you like where are you going where are we going and yeah. it's like library it didn't matter like, sometimes yeah, like, we whatever. just going to the store <laughs> yeah. like going we're to going. Our, like, <laughs> uncle's house like we didn't know we just wanted to go yeah, somewhere because sure. we never went anywhere yeah. going right up. it was like beach or we don't know wherever dad goes or yeah, mom yeah. goes we're gonna follow so <laughs> we go to the library and my dad would spend hours reading he just would just read books and read books and yeah. then we were me and my sisters were just kind of like, okay, what do we want to look at? And I just ran to the, I, straight to the magazine, yeah, Surfer yeah. magazine, yeah, yeah. Surfing magazine. <laughs> sure. I just went straight to the magazine just to look at pictures. Yeah. Soak and it up. Then I, I, ended up like reading all of them because you know it's like you go there so often you can okay, you read every mm-hmm. magazine. And you're like yeah, start reading it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like okay, I read them all already, and so. then it became like, look at books now. So then I started going to books and, and reading some fun books. And I remember, I really remember when internet first kind of like came Uh uh out and I remember the librarian was like, okay, you sign up, you can go on for 15 minutes, you give your library card (laughs) and you can just go on the internet. And I was like, internet, whoa, what? And then she was like, you can look at this and that and whatever you want. And I just was like, whoa. And I remember... I would sign up and there's a wait list because it's like usually people like way older than me that kind of knew what internet was. (laughs) Yeah, they were were waiting. And I'm just like, I just wanted to get on. I remember when I I sat on the chair and I was like typing in, I was like, hey, what do I want to learn about? And the first thing I was always go to, I'd be like, Africa surfing or like Whoa, California surfing no or like Tahiti surfing. I yeah, just like you were already thinking global. I just was yeah. like, okay, because I, I couldn't see that in sure. Hawaii. Like, you know, we, we see pictures of Pipeline. Yeah, see photos, we see yeah. pictures of Honolulu Bay. You know, we see everything in Hawaii. I wanted to like, what's the rest of it? what does it look like? And yeah. then from the magazines, of course, that's like, I would just like kind of try to see what that looked like. And then it'd be like, you see someone surfing something and I'd be like fish, single fin, longboard. And then all these like, we, we would go and then my dad would um, rent tapes. Yeah. Rent, it's like a dollar, a dollar a tape yeah. back in the day and yeah. you can rent it for like a night. And unless it was really old, like you can rent it for seven days. So. Yeah, yeah. I remember my dad would get, like, physics tapes and all these kind of things. And I was like, oh, these are boring. Yeah, like, this is horrible. Let's get, like, five summer stories yeah, or like, yeah. any classic moments. Sure. And we would get those tapes. But we only could have them for a night. So I would just, like, okay, watch it all night, really all night, yeah. all night. And then, okay, we go back to the library and we... Well, late fees are a big no-no yeah, so yeah. make sure <laughs> it's be, on time, yeah. you know be kind rewind right, make right. sure you uh, rewind uh, that tape or right. you get you get um, I forgot about that so you funny. get fined and then oh if my dad found out I didn't rewind the, the tape or well, I was in trouble <laughs> <The young laughs> so, yeah. so I made sure that I rewound that tape but you know there was I, I started to really really like soak in that 1960s 1970s type of surfing and it the whole Style Masters and, you know, th- those types of films, I, I, it was ingrained in me. And when I got on the internet, then it just was like, okay, I'm learning about these guys, you know, like, you know, Buttons and, you know, Rubberman, Larry Bertelman, and you know, Dane Kealoha, and even guys like Sean Thompson, you know, Rabbit. It really and,
0: seeds for your academic f- research. Well, yeah,
1: <laughs> so I was not even looking at anything, like you know yeah intellectual or intellectual yeah. <laughs> in terms of like contemporary academics. no it was but, all but like, the fact that you were surf. that like
0: inquisitive and like teach me I want to suck this oh, up oh fully Let's and then it was out. like
1: and then it was like you know Jimi Hendrix right? and like yeah. Marley and all these the like all yeah. these like crazy you know like modern day philosophers sure absolutely and I had 15 minutes so I had a jam and then I was like okay this is like I'm yeah. not going anywhere this okay in yeah. the boom I, I was jumping I, I would just kind of go through all these different that's so funny. individuals and characters and places and i would do it for like 15 minutes yeah and then people were like hey kid get off the thing and i'm just like no, okay <laughs> just give me like one more minute and then i get kicked off and that's hilarious that to me that was like a that was a privilege absolutely to be able to yeah. go to the library yeah. and and kind of spend a lot of time in the library and know that there's there's these repositories of mm. information that and knowledge yeah, that we have access to yeah it's like to me that that just blew my mind so i think that was some of my friends growing up maybe they didn't really know that that existed because mm. i'm sure if they did if they knew that that was if kind they of could a, appreciate
0: the value yeah
1: that was like a, a window to look at the outside world right. right and we growing up we just didn't know yeah we, we were small town yeah we just thought that the point was the biggest thing right. ever is right. like once that you get to Everest. the point yeah you were the man. Yeah. And yeah. it's like... You have summited. <laughs> that kind of was maybe a... I didn't realize at the time, but that became a seed for me really wanting to, to see outside, but never really having maybe the self-confidence... Sure. ...to think I could make it yeah, outside. Yeah. And then as I as I went to... I ended up going to a school as a... I went to a boarding school on another island at a young age, and then I started to get exposed to other parts of the world, and pursuing education was more of a responsibility Mm. that um when i seen my friends competing in contests gaining sponsorships opportunity to travel the world i was kind of i felt that there was a bigger need for me to be able to maintain my diligence to academics um that became really clear when i would bring home say like a little medal medal from a a contest versus a report card, right? You know, when I when I did kind of like okay at like not even like paid contests because I didn't do any paid ones it was like yeah, the free just one, finaling or whatever. Yeah, the free one I would make it into yeah. like the finals or whatever, and I get a little sticker, or yeah, a, like trophy metal or like, whatever. Yeah. I never really got any trophies, but I get yeah. like the bag, the Something, goodie yeah, bag, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got the goodie yeah. <laughs> bag, and then my family's like, oh, that's good. Mm-hmm, right, but exactly. when I would bring home that A, like to the point of like I I really remember, you know, one time just talking i was in high school and i was telling my auntie like oh i'm like i'm doing really well in this class and it was like i i i don't know, did some science fair thing and i i won mm-hmm. some science fair and like she was a point of like almost like tears mm-hmm. that saying like she's like i'm so proud of you yeah like you're gonna be the one of our family to really you know like take us there yeah. and like that was just kind of ingrained on me like remember sitting in the the, the dining room table when she was telling me that and i I just felt like I felt like I had a bigger responsibility to to do school to do surf and I felt after a while sometimes like and, and, and eventually led on to a lot of years of school sure, now, You sure. know, and I felt maybe a little guilted into doing that responsibility uh-huh. and and I try to not make it, like, about me, but I definitely felt
0: that... That you felt pressure from your family and from your your
1: culture, probably, as well, to fulfill those... When I graduated high school, there was 50 Native Hawaiians in history Mm -hmm. to receive PhDs. Wow. So... That seems wild to me, considering how
0: advanced, you know, the culture and society it was from an early age. Yeah. It seems, like, counterintuitive. It's, like... I mean, talking about, like, super high literacy rate, you know, way before the U.S., you know, I mean, incredible technologically advanced, you know, systems of, I mean, that just, I don't know, that's wild.
1: Sure, I think it, it, I I, I could only, you know, speculate why that is, but I think some of the reason behind that is that, you know, after pretty much from the mid-1800s, moving into the overthrow at the 1893, into statehood, in nineteen forty nine, that was a transition where Hawaiian culture was really rocked. Yeah. And that idea of self identity mm. and self efficacy was really challenged mm. as a native person coming so there's from Hawaii. A deep
0: trauma that was, there was a trauma. Yeah.
1: That really as the world began to adopt the value in higher education, the Hawaiian community was still trying to understand what even Western society was. Mm. From the American perspective. Right. Because from the early 1800s to the mid 1800s, uh, Hawaiian culture had created an infrastructure that was on par with first world countries. You know, I think a lot super of. Super autonomous. Exactly. People, I don't think people recognize or even realize that Hawaii had electricity before the White House. We had the highest liter- literacy rate right. you know, across the world at one point. And these things are. Are kind of overshadowed by the idea of we lost our identity right. we lost our culture right um, they live in the shadow of, of that present day exactly reception. and that's yeah. unfortunate because then a lot of times like no no disrespect to my native brothers and sisters here in the US but we, we didn't we weren't we weren't uh, we adopted kind of contemporary society in a way that wasn't present here yet right. in, the, in the United States right. not to say that's not no no hear, it's, it's I, here I now totally within said. the native yeah. population yeah. but at the time of our right. kind of overthrow it was we had already adopted sure. western culture so in that when that that trauma happened we didn't have i think enough people in the position to even begin to get or see the value in PhDs or things like that. So as right. when I graduated there was no PhDs. Which it's not it's not the all in say all I know, but no. at the time I recognized that But there's a correlation obviously. Fully. And yeah. I, I felt like I was um, I was kinda set on track to sure. I could attain that. It was right. like just by my kind of my youth and my academics, it um it kind of geared me up and set me up to be like, you can be one of these these yeah. people to obtain. Not to say I was going to go that far. I knew I was going to do it. I didn't know I wanted to pursue academia this long. Right. But to show there's already success. And it was like, okay, you can be the guy. You sure. know, or you can be one of the guys or whatever community. So Well, and it sounds like despite what
0: you know, you might have been resistant to as, as a young person in terms of your family's influence and that pressure and how... Maybe there was something that that you know you envied about the temptation of of this selfish turn to path of some of your peers and stuff like that. But realistically, it sounds like they instilled some incredible values and, and points in you that that gave you the perspective that you know has created fully, you. I mean,
1: fully. And yeah. and I couldn't have I couldn't have asked for a better lead up to where I am now because it's and not to say that those who pursued the professional surfing or pursued that lifestyle competitive surfing and still do that that's wrong. I oh, of course Those are some yeah. of my closest friends yeah, and I absolutely. and they inspire me to be diligent in my yeah, own life yeah, and they're inspiring no. so many other people so
0: no one right path.
1: It, it's it's just really I think it's a testament to the time mm. that now the industry is willing to not only support the fully one track competitive mm. athlete but also someone who is willing to invest in right. their philosophy in their perspective yeah. and that's valuable because the company or the industry can re- can rely on that now and that's the one thing in the surf industry which is interesting to me is that in other professional sports you go through your high school then you go to typically some type of university mm. and then you get recruited into a professional sporting arena right. You know, surfing is one of the few places where it's almost going to college ends your career. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's unfortunate. It's an ultimatum. Yeah. It, it is. Yeah. And, and a lot of people see that. And that's, yeah. pretty, that's pretty unfortunate. But I understand. And for a long time, oh. that's just the way it was. But sure. it's now. That's not necessarily the case. Well, and it's
0: funny because, I mean, you say now. But, you know, yes, it's now in the sense that we're presently living in a time. I mean, you're a living example of that evolution, you know, in terms of the shifting of values and perspectives of of the industry, not recognizing other things that are more important and and higher in their merit value. But at the same time, I mean, I think that we're still very much living in the era that has been created in its wake, which is kind of the opposite, you know, where, where, you know, kids are almost enabled to ignore their other faculties or their worldliness or their world perspectives or whatever i unfortunately in some cases even altruism and just be a little bit you know self-centric and just go like oh you're the next you know you're gonna be the next fucking slater you're gonna be the next whatever like and like you said like not that you shouldn't be able to commit yourself and be really passionately dedicated to something like that but to pursue something with such a sense of self-entitlement as if that is inevitable as well as the fact that you need to be a more well-rounded person, not only for your community and your family, but to really appreciate life fully. You know, like sure. I just think that it's awesome. I guess is what I'm saying that we're now getting to a point. We say present, but it's very recent that that's changed. You sure. know, and and I think we're still living that out.
1: And and to be perfectly fair, there are selfish people in academia. And Absolutely, there sure. are just with. Academia is is highly competitive, it's yeah. competitive as well. You know, oh, there's, there's plenty of ego flying around. There's people, <laughs> and it's almost you know It it's, comes down to I think not the space you're trying to fill, mm-hmm. but it comes down to how you're raised in right. that perspective. Where just as much as there's parents that take their child to the beach and say you're going to be the next greatest world mm-hmm. champion, there's the same type of personality that is a professor or a doctor sure, or a lawyer or a businessman. Or whoever that they're going to tell their child that academic will make you better, right. or academia will make you better than someone else. Right. And and when it comes down to that, that competitive nature, which competition is, I think, is healthy. Totally. But there's the, those same, you know, youth that are going out there that maybe you're seeing in the lineup that are feeling entitled and really self-motivated. That those same people exist in academia, and I'm constantly battling those people as well and i think really the sign the sign of the times changing is that there's a merging of the two can now what's really cool is that you can be an excellent surfer Mm. you can also be an excellent you know researcher you can be an excellent artist Mm. and also be an excellent lawyer you know there's so many different combinations that the, the society is recognizing that when you have diversity in your perspective, you are more valuable to society. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's just something that I would like to really communicate to the youth is that n- not having a one-track mind might be to your advantage to contribute to your community. If you're not contributing to your community, then what are you doing? Are you just taking from 100%. your community? Do we ask the question... Are you a parasite? And I'm no, I'm no saint, and I've definitely no, no. taken. No, this isn't
0: from judgment. It's just acknowledging that it's a selfish endeavor. We're taking a resource that has been generated, you know, by the good grace of the forces, you know, of nature, and it, it, what, what are you doing to, to show your appreciation and to give back? You know,
1: it is. But I also feel that surfing can be surfing can be um, non-selfish oh for sure like it, it yeah. can be and it comes down to the individual yes you know? and I think it's really that the more I see someone who either in the lineup or whatever is whether it's surfing or whether it's in academia or wherever when I see someone coming from a view of scarcity mm. instead of abundance it, it it's very apparent that they're damaged and that's unfortunate and it's not my role to judge like you know i no. I, I have my own issues well, we all to have it. our bouts
0: with those moments too fully and, yeah. and
1: maybe they're i just got them in their off day right. whatever it is right. but you definitely come down to it that sense of entitlement which i i know that i felt entitled at times in this in sure. the lineup and you know you reflect on that and you say what why is that is because i'm afraid that i'm not gonna be able to get a wave and that's what's so funny it's like that's why they call them waves because there's gonna be another <laughs> one another. you know and, and when oh, we forget crazy. that it's yeah. there's many reasons that obviously results yeah. in a yeah. lot of localism and aggression right. and yeah. to me those are just symptoms of the underlying yeah. self-worth that I'm not good enough.
0: Because mm-hmm.
1: if I miss this opportunity, I right. might never have one again.
0: Or that your identity is so tied in such a limited way to this one validator or this one measure of your worth. Sure. You know, that if you are not, you know, receiving the validation that you seek, then, then what do you, you know, where does your confidence go? And like you said, that you know, the crux of it, like you said, is a scarcity of psychology versus a perspective of abundance. And, you know, giving versus taking.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing, like, I... Growing up, almost like when you got out to the point, when you're given a wave, like at first you're like, wow, I'm given a wave because I maybe I'm good enough, I I get given waves now. I earned this wave. (laughs) But when you give that wave, that first time you give that wave, such a good feeling, you're like, like when you've become a part of the lineup or a part of that group where people say, okay, it's now your time to. Show off your mm. worth and seek that validation. Sure. Here's your opportunity, yeah. and you're willing to say, "I don't need that anymore." Mm. Here you go, and you let someone else participate. That really, to me, is like you've arrived. Yeah, you know, and and that's the, to me, like it, that's that's, the, that's selfish, you know. That's because that's me saying like, I've know I've got to where I need to be to give away, and I think not a lot of people have found that yet right but when they do they get it and that's the next level of really like you said shredding is you don't need to catch the the best wave because everyone knows that you would have done what you had to do you don't need to justify and that Uh you give waves is like that's really respectable and in that when everyone's giving waves together that creates that community and now when you do catch that wave it just there's no pressure. There's no seeking validation. It's like, now I can just get back to why I surf in the mm-hmm. first place. And I can connect. It's a bit of dissolving of the ego, too, all in one go. It's like, it, yeah. it's an amazing feeling that, granted, doesn't happen all the time. Sure. And sometimes when you just got to get your, you know, <laughs> yeah, you got to get your waves, yeah. you, that happens, yeah. too. But yeah. to be able to experience that, I think, like, yeah. it's, I just I have a feeling that there's some people across this planet that have never... Truly a wave they really want so bad. They've never given that wave away. Right. And I think that feeling cannot be described. And I, I I know there's people that are probably listening that have done that. Oh, and I think the majority, they've (laughs) they've, Oh, you mean they have given? Yeah. Like, oh, I, yeah. yeah, I, Sure. I feel like... But they're in the minority, I would say. I, I, yeah. I don't even know. But if they do, it's like... <laughs> God. That feeling. I, I would encourage... this is my secret ploy yeah, to get right? waves. Yeah, yeah. You know? nice <laughs> maybe, <nudge>. yeah <laughs> maybe you give a wave. But no, I, I think really when you can get to a place in your own surfing that you're not afraid to miss the best wave hmm. of the session. And you're willing to give that to whether it's your friend or a stranger. Like that feeling, I, I can't think of any time I felt like, oh, like that was a bad move. No, uh, it's never. And And the thing is, is you don't do it to try to hope someone will give you away. No, yeah it's and a very is, selfless act yeah. and this is of course easy to say here on like the sure, podcast sitting sure. in, a, in a room until the peak rolls in yeah, we're exactly. in. Yeah. but I think you can you can train yeah you, know, you can no, train you're right. to be it's, like it's okay, a test I'm it's not test. gonna yeah. give someone this way yeah. but maybe the next yeah. one And but when you do I know yeah. It's yeah. It's, make it's, it a practice it's, fit. it's so worth it something to meditate it. on yeah yeah. and it's harder here than other when there's more oh, waves higher population
0: scarcity psychology maybe comes in a bit more yeah
1: but it really is worth it and almost when you become the person that Is in a position to be able to give up your position for someone else. You almost feel like, like I said, you know, wow, I'm trusted with this wave by everyone else out here, and my kind of decision to give it away is respected. I mean, it's cool. It's a cool feeling.
0: Well, I think it's it's a measurement of your own evolution. I think you know. I mean, it's very significant to get to that point, both in your psychology, but also in your heart. You know, in the spirit of it. You know, like you said, like it's not. You're not going, oh, I'm guaranteed a sick one after this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah. as long as I give oh, this kid one or I give that, you know, gal one or whatever it is, like, oh, I'm for sure going to get one. No, no. It's like, you, you just, it feels good. Yeah. And you want to do it for other people and you, and you see the positive impact that it has. I think that that's, it's a good measurement.
1: And when it comes down to it, sometimes like, I mean, I'm just fortunate to learn surfing growing up and surfing with people that sure. have done that with me where yeah. I'm just like a kid not experienced and actually like pretty terrified a lot of the times growing up and and growing up with um like one of my close friends and he's actually like i I would feel like a mentor of mine brandon ahuna Uh we'd be out surfing some of these waves and he's like this is yours Mm -hmm. and i'm just like i don't want this (laughs) like i don't want (laughs) this wave and he's like this is the best one and i'm like (laughs) oh okay okay i guess uh, i guess but like that idea that that could have been one of his best ways and I've gotten some of the best ways of my life surfing with him and I know that probably would have been one of his best ways of his life but he wasn't afraid of that to him it was more important I guess watching me me grow and learn than it was for him to get a mental wave and I don't know if it's the people that he learned surfing from or like how that that information or way was passed but it's like that to me has really helped me to not worry like if I'm surfing a wave that it's You know, seen as like the best wave in the world. And if I miss the best set or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. like I have to have confidence in my own self that I will be in a position to get another wave again. And when it comes down to it, there's a lot of perfect waves that are empty in this planet. And if I really want it, then I can actually put myself in that position. No one's one's stopping anybody from getting the best waves of their life uncrowded. It might be some financial obstacles there might be some time there might be some relationships but but you can you, do it if you work hard enough yeah you can surf empty perfect waves Absolutely. on this planet and i think people know that but what people want is they want to surf their local and get validated when right. that becomes the the difficulty witnessed yeah you know so uh, it's a yeah. it's, it's a hard thing to to really i guess talk about and, and really live but i I've, well like you are saying, it's, it's a practice it's not you can't do
0: it every time exactly <laughs> I mean, yeah but no one expects that either you know and, and even if you just start somewhere and start shifting that perspective to like you said whether it's just not seeing it as a source of scarcity and more a source of abundance or or simply seeing you know how much more enjoyment that kid gets you know out of as scary as he might be being thrown into the woods like how much growth is going on and expansion their mind and their life and their character that you've just been able to facilitate for them basically Like that, not that it's yours to take credit for, but like you, you get that enjoyment, you know, and that's such a more fulfilling and enriching experience emotionally than one more wave you could rip the bag out of, you know, or whatever in your mind.
1: And and I'm no authority, you know, I'm no authority on surfing. All I know is that we're fortunate where I'm from that we have a lot of empty waves. They may not be the best waves, but they're empty, so you, you can then you can surf, and then we. I've been fortunate to travel to waves that are seen as the best in the world, mm-hmm. and they're definitely di- more difficult to catch waves. Right. A lot of times, I'm the foreigner when I go away, sure. and it's very easy to feel a level of entitlement of having uh, native Hawaiian blood yeah. and to to feel that, oh, my ancestors made mm. this like but, royalty and but yeah. that that's that's. That's what caused localism in the first place is that feeling of entitlement that Mm -hmm. surfing was born to um, include everybody. It's an inclusive thing. And once we start moving along the path that I deserve this and they Mm -hmm. don't, that's a dangerous, dangerous perspective to have. So like I said, I'm no, I'm no sane and I'm not perfect. But I think it's really important when I catch myself and say, Mm. Cliff, it's okay that you don't get the best wave today. Sure. Yeah,
0: check yourself a bit.
1: More times than not, that's a perspective that has offered so much growth and so much opportunity, and and that I can I can testify to saying that having that level of security to know that there will be another wave, Mm. there will be another session, and there'll be you know another community or someone will be out there to appreciate, sure, and there will be validation because we always seek it. You know, there there will be a validation. It doesn't have to come today. It doesn't have to sure. come tomorrow. And just to trust in that, I think it, it helps alleviate some of the the stress of surfing, yeah. especially here yeah. in California.
0: Well, and, it, and it's an opportunity to break free from a lot of the societal and cultural expectations and norms that were basically, you know, brought up into and, you know, are instilled in us that just all these, all these elements of status and, and, you know, the spectrum of... People in the hierarchy of, of different demographics and class systems and all this stuff, I mean, you, you know, that's something that you can't mimic elsewhere in terms of other athletic sports or, or interactions with nature where it's this great equalizer, you know, it's this great, you're now on the same playing field, blah, 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 And of course, like we said, it, it has its own, you know, rules and it has its own totem poles, but again, like, it's just, it's stuff that, you know, is much more rooted in, um, a worldly perspective and a lot more balance and, and values that, have to do with humility and, and honoring and respecting what you're given that gratitude and that abundance. So that's pretty cool that, yeah, like there's a lot of ego that gets flared up and stuff, but, but the opportunity is always there when you're surfing to dissolve that and to go, Oh, this is, this is a pretty special experience. I just think it's really cool that the ocean, there's no way around it. You know, it's going to humble you. It's going to put you in your place and you can all accept and acknowledge the perspective of, of either being a student or acting like you're there to become master, you know, totally. and, and, and develop, stroke your own ego more, you totally. know.
1: <laughs> yeah. It just, it feels so good because, like, it, when you get a good wave, it, it does stroke your ego. Longer. Yeah, like sure. It makes you feel yeah. so good. And, yeah. And, yeah, that, that's definitely the, the balance. And I out. think
0: it's important, too, to acknowledge that, like, it's not just, it's more than just the ego that is stroking, obviously. Like it, it's just you're playing. I mean, you're yeah. you're you're getting to benefit from a practical miracle in terms of you know the coalescence of factors that come together to make that ride the way it is. You know, and, and your ability whether it's the technological advancements allowed you to have the board you have, or the fact that you could be in that place of the world, or just riding a fucking wave. You know, yeah. so it's true that yeah, it's definitely a bit of an ego stroker, but at the same time, it's pretty. Um, raw elation and just like pure joy and bliss
1: and it's open to interpretation where it's like yeah. you can it's not like basketball where you know you're good when you can put the ball in the hoop <laughs> yeah, from right, this line that's true it's like you catch it's a away and you you can just think you're ripping yeah and you're not a, and like i know i've done that I'm yeah, like, oh yeah oh, for think, sure i oh. think i'm ripping but we'll I'm let's see not. that clip oh god yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> delete that. <laughs> Delet that no so, it's
0: a very you know raw form of expression and i think that's so much of you know, that obviously that's a topic that's been brought up before is like, don't call it a sport, you know, it's an art or don't call it an art, it's a sport. It's like, there's these two kind of different schools of thought about how to treat it. And, and I think it's really just a happy medium between the both, you know, sure. and like you said, it's just how you treat it, what role it plays in your life and how you engage it. But at the end of the day, it is an outlet for pure extreme expression. Mm-hmm. And that is a really healthy therapy, even just on that level psychologically yeah, for people sure. to have. Fully. yeah well i think it's really cool that you know that you went the direction that you did and obviously some of that had to do with your parents and those influences that like you said at the time you couldn't fully appreciate in the moment of but that in retrospect you became really grateful for and um it's pretty neat that it that it went as far as it did for you in terms of your commitment to academia mm-hmm. and those pursuits and obviously now leading to your doctorate degree in chemistry at UCSD and. It seems like you had these kind of two identities growing up, you know, mm-hmm. that you were sharing space with, and that you had to maybe pick and choose one to show face from each one, respectively. And the Surfer Biome project that you created is so incredible in so many ways and so unique, but it seems like it was really a wonderful kind of coalescence of, of these forces in your life that allowed you to marry, you know, your love and passion, commitment for surfing, the environment, your community. You know, just giving back in general with all of your academic pursuits and commitments.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Surfer Biome Project, like like I said, it's it really. The Surfer Biome Project has allowed me to do what I'm I'm currently doing, um, being supported by the surf industry and also by academic institution yeah. to live a lifestyle of surf and science and storytelling. I think it's. I feel part of it is I'm really lucky to be able to be given an opportunity to to do the Surfer Bomb project and kind of growing up, I always had to compartmentalize the two parts of my life. Right, it was surfing and it was school because in the surf industry, you go into academics. That's your plan B. You're not taking it seriously. Okay, this guy's going to go join Mm -hmm. regular society versus a up. A yeah. life of professional chasing the waves, sure. And then in academia, you say you're a surfer. People are gonna be like, "This guy doesn't take it seriously He's right. gonna go chase the waves." And it kind of really, the two never came together. Mm. And um, for a long time, I had to separate the two. I had to hide that I was a surfer, and I had to hide from a lot of the surfers that I went to school because I wanted to be taken seriously in both. I really wanted to belong to both communities. I wanted to contribute on a very high level on both right. communities, and. Um, That really happened kind of went through it as a separate and for a long time in my academics. I was studying coral reef and I Coral reef for me um, Not only do we see it as an ancestor in Hawaiian culture But also has provided me with really I feel my whole existence from the fish that I eat to the island I live on Mm -hmm. to my cultural identity the waves. I ride everything comes around the coral, or it, it encompasses some type of relationship with coral. And I wanted to use my academics to help understand it and contribute and, and prolong its life and really be a positive influencer in that sense. And I've been studying for so long, trying to get grants. I got a couple grants to study. And basically, in the spring of 2016, I came to a point where I lost all my funding mm-hmm. to study coral reef. And there was no money for me to do research on it anymore. So I had to now give up that. And I tried so hard. I just got denied this big fellowship. And Mm -hmm. now I had to work on a project. I think that was actually with um, a pharmaceutical company slash agrochemical company. Something that I just didn't want to do. I just didn't want it because I was going to now fund Mm -hmm. my remaining part of my studies. And when you you become a student in graduate school, it's either you, you take... The projects that are being funded, or you teach, which teaching is amazing too. Sure, but teaching definitely takes away from the research, which yep. you need to graduate. Yeah, so spreads you thin. Yeah, spreads you really thin. So I kind of just was like, oh, I lost my funding. I, I I applied for another scholarship, I didn't get it. At the end of the day, I'm like, I'm just gonna write this proposal to the Global Health Institute mm-hmm. at UCSD, saying that I want to study surfers across the world, and that's basically was this one-page fellowship that I applied for um, as kind of like the surfers were a proxy to understand how humans interact with nature. Uh-huh. And writing that, I didn't know if I was going to get the, the fellowship. Sure. I didn't know. I, I really had no idea if I was going to get it or not. And I thought it was just going to be this small fellowship. Yeah, And it ended up being this huge fellowship that covered my salary, covered my cost of Research and it just turned into this big wow. project that I was so stoked. <laughs> yeah. like I was just so stoked. And I yeah. couldn't actually believe that I got the fellowship. I was going to say
0: pretty surreal. I'm sure once you once you finally got the good word, you're like, oh, oh yeah, no way. I was like, yeah. I was like, okay, <laughs> right.
1: I got the I got the fellowship. This yeah. is this is now my chance to show that surfing can be a part of academics. Right, and that was wow. kind of when that it sunk in and yeah. all like the kind of the joy of yeah I got my funding I don't yeah. have to like work for this like terrible company that I uh-huh, didn't like uh-huh. and I don't have to teach I can just do my research surf in school this is yeah. exactly what I wanted and then I was like oh shit, oh, shit. <laughs> I, now I gotta figure <laughs> out how to do this there was some serious pressure on me. there was some big pressure because yeah. I was my whole life I just was kind of pounding on doors saying let me prove to you that science and surfing belong together Right. let me show you let me yeah. show you and everyone was saying get out of here you're crazy Nah, no no no, yeah, no, yeah. no no and then Someone said, okay, Cliff, yeah, let's see it. Right. And there was huge pressure. Yeah. And I, I just, I was like, I can't blow this. I got to show the world that yeah. surfing and science belong together. <laughs> and that caused a lot of anxiety and stress. But at the end of the day, um, the surfer biome was created. And what the surfer biome really became is um, me traveling around the world, trying to see how surfers differ from non-surfers and how do surfers differ from each other on different parts of the world. Mm-hmm really to try to understand how do humans interact with nature Uh Um, because surfers are we know just kind of in society surfers are a very different demographic than the average person Mm -hmm. you know surfers are constantly immersed in their natural environment Um, sometimes they are so diligent in their pursuits to be totally immersed in environment they risk job opportunities families relationships (laughs) the whole deal so everything's out there. It's worth sacrificing. (laughs) Apparently they're they're a perfect example of, of, a population, a demographic that is diligent in there. It's an extreme lifestyle in its own way. Yeah. And that's something that, um, I, I was like, okay, surfers are this great population to study. How do we interact with nature? And it was also a way to, you know, to merge the two. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And also, like I think you mentioned before, like kind of looking at what is nature's fingerprint on us. Sure. sure. Not necessarily just equal parts interacting, but like which way is this flowing in terms of the influence.
1: Sure. Because the surfer biome is is really, uh, um, it comes from the idea of the microbiome. Right. And what the microbiome consists of is all the bacteria and fungus and viruses and protists that live in and on the human body which modern medicine is recognizing has a a role in keeping us healthy. So the scientific community at large is trying to collect as much information about humans, bacteria on their skin or Mm -hmm. in their guts or in their eyes and ears and all these places, because they believe that that will give us answers into understanding more about being healthy. Um, There's literature that suggests that even the bacteria in your gut can affect the way you think. Right. Um, they have shown that it has re- an interaction, correlations with allergies, with things like autism, mm-hmm. diabetes, right. Alzheimer's. There's yeah. all this literature that's coming out showing these correlations right. between potentially mood disorders and otherwise, too. The types of bacteria and the way you feel and live. It's worth the time to study. I think there's right. no real strong conclusions as of yet, but it's worth the time and the money. So with the surfers, it's just a nice way to see when you're totally immersed in the marine environment in mm-hmm. the ocean, does that affect your microbial composition? And no one has really investigated that yet, so it became a nice study. And
0: And you went out and literally wear the boots on the ground taking samples, you know, uh, skin and, and tissue, fecal, oral samples and all this stuff to collect the data.
1: Yeah, I, I basically just took a pack of Q-tips, and went to Europe <laughs> and to start it off, and that was just my way of beginning the the project. I, I started yeah. in I started in Europe, and I went from I first started my project in Ireland, and then I went to London, I went to North Africa, yeah. came back to the states, did mm. the West Coast, San Diego, San Francisco, then I went home to Hawaii to finish yeah. off the project and. I was going to continue to South America and Asia and kind of beyond, but I I wanted to graduate. Yeah, I I was going to say,
0: eventually at some point you got to cut that short. I cut
1: it short. Um, What we did was we looked at, in each surfer, we looked at all the bacteria and the chemicals found on every surfer to see if surfers are different than Mm non-surfers and if... The surfers from different parts of the world are different among themselves. So,
0: mm-hmm. And probably too early to say whether or not that's a positive or, or negative in terms of the net impact. It's more just, like you said, are there anomalies or are there signatures that fully, are unique to this demographic?
1: Fully. We don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Right. We just wanted to show that there is a relationship humo- somehow. Sure, we wanted is. to see if we could detect nature's fingerprint on us and also if we could see potential impacts that we might have on our environment uh-huh. to lay the foundation how do we interact with our environment right right you know, and again surfers just represent this really interesting demographic that transcends all races all genders all nationalities religions mm. that are unified by the specific behavior to go to the sea sure and that's something that can really help scientists understand that there's something about the ocean. Mm. There's something about that space yeah. which has, that results in a molecular solidarity amongst that community, that worldwide community. I think that's pretty empowering.
0: Yeah, I mean, just that principle alone, that, that like you said, that there's a connection that transcends all of these other whatever you know apparently disparate groups you know i mean that's obviously an illusion in many ways you know some more obvious than others but when it comes down to the molecular level like you said i mean yeah you're sharing things that are affecting the way
1: that you think the way that your body functions and the health and um and and these are tests these are this becomes a theory that can be tested that's i think the main difference in this type of work is we establish empirical evidence and data which can then be tested right and if it's incorrect then it can be taken off the table. Yep. That's what's so cool about this idea: is I propose a, a theory or a hypothesis, whatever that I believe we are connected to nature, mm-hmm. and why I believe that personally is because of the ancestral stories sure. and chants and yeah. songs that have told me since I was a little boy yeah. that I am the same as the rock and tree and the right. coral and the sea. That to me I really believe, but I recognize that there is a global community that doesn't didn't have access to those stories because they have those stories somewhere in their history. Yeah, somewhere in there, back there. Somewhere catalogs. Yeah, they have that ancestral knowledge, but for whatever reason, it it was not it's not acknowledged, Mm -hmm. and maybe there's not an ownership of that. But yeah. Perhaps science can be used to give that ownership to contemporary society saying, look, you don't have to have a song or a chant. Right. You can have this story that a percentage of the bacteria that yeah. exists in and on you comes from the ocean. Yeah. And you yeah. share that with the shark and the dolphin and the turtle. And that's not this hippie expression. No. This no. is This is
0: metaphysical, this is this, this is, is tangible empirical. empirical.
1: And Hopefully that will establish some type of connection which will translate into accountability, ownership, and eventually, hopefully, protection of these spaces. If that can happen, I think that's really the big win. It's not to find the next cure to antibiotic-resistant bacteria or win the Nobel Prize for some unique idea. I think really the win is showing people that on a molecular level, we are connected Mm. to nature yeah we are one and the same and if we pollute and mismanage nature we're only hurting ourselves so now we can make the best decision yeah. in our everyday life well i mean you
0: know you're talking about a shift in consciousness which is not to be undervalued or pale in comparison by any means in relation to a the application of you know solving a particular disease or like that. i mean that's just as of course it's harder to measure terms of the aggregate but you know I, I think you know regardless in the day you're you are benefiting the well-being and and you know the hearts and minds of, of people by establishing that realization of their connection to one another and the environment
1: yeah i mean trying to i could be i could be <laughs> no, totally no, wrong you yeah know. <laughs> yeah no not
0: that that's on your shoulders but that would be the at least one would hope that yeah that's the conclusion yeah. you could draw from that yeah that Really, there's less and less things that make the us and the them fully. Yeah.
1: And that in that on that thread, Mm -hmm. it's like when you realize that, wow, potentially someone can take this foundational basic research and expand upon it and see that. What if the ocean is the largest therapeutic we have on this planet? And if we lose that, there is even an economic consequence that there's a huge strain on health care mm-hmm. that could be totally avoided by just keeping a beach clean and preventing whatever, $30 million in revenue that yeah. some type of development is yeah. going to produce at the expense of the ocean, that's actually nothing compared to how much will be lost and in the terms cost of that will the, too. the potential therapeutic value that it provides right. to the total population. Where yeah. now, because they don't have that. therapeutic agent they have to now seek drugs therapy or some type of cost and i mean that that's definitely big thinking and far thinking and it's the pie in the sky it's important
0: to keep all that you know in the context the, the granular you know the molecular level and like you said just kind of a broader philosophical perspective on it I don't know. It seems it seems pretty fucking important, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, whether or not you know, this is that "quote unquote" magic. You know, that you know, it gets into the the woo woo and the stuff that makes people roll their eyes. Is, is now we're getting to a point where various fields in the sciences are able to show empirically that there's something tangibly going on. That there's something actually going on there, and that's not just some crack pipe response, you know, to a good trip, you know, or whatever. Like, it's like, no, 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 no. There, there's a healing element here. And I think that we're seeing that in different ways. I mean, obviously this is hyper-focused, you know, and, it, and it's looking at stuff that we have yet to really determine the conclusions from. But at the same time, I think that we're seeing examples through nonprofits and NGOs that are emerging, local activism groups and communities that are really, focusing on the therapeutic aspects of, of whether it's surfing and literally riding waves or just simply being in nature and immersing yourself, appreciating your environment. But certainly the ocean seems to have a somewhat unique quality in that way. Mm-hmm. And it's something that can't really be mimicked elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember you mentioned to me on your trip that you, you were super inspired by uh, Surfers Against Sewage, you know, out of the UK. And it seems like there was something unique about their approach that you were kind of mentioning to me briefly that, that I think is really important to shine a light on in terms of if we're going to look at these issues and apply these lessons on a, on a systemic level and really be active and proactive with our communities. Like, what was it about them that was so unique in their approach that you thought was really special?
1: Fully, I was living in um, Falmouth in Cornwall and I was doing research at the University of Exeter School of Medicine and I was in William Gaze's lab working with Ann Leonard, um, who was a postdoc uh, in the lab. And we were looking at antibiotic resistant genes and we're trying to find um, how antibiotic resistant bacteria can be found in the waters, the bathing waters mm. off of England. And all the research that comes out of the lab gets published into primary literature, peer reviewed, then given to Surfers Against Sewage, who is a, uh, a profit organization that tries to disseminate knowledge and galvanize the community to to really activate politicians to say we need to regulate the sewage that is going out wow. because some of the main causes for antibiotic resistant bacteria are a result of unregulated sewage agriculture um, and, and it all revolves around the idea that we we use too much antibiotics in mm-hmm. our daily lives and the, the literature comes out from the science, the academics, mm-hmm. say we found this, that surfers and ocean gores right. are this much more times likely to be colonized by antibiotic-resistant sure. bacteria in their guts. That gets taken to Surfers Against Sewage, who has a direct mission to prevent that. They want to have clean water for their yep. surfers. And that gets communicated to the public. And it gets incorporated into their campaigns. And that gets taken by a brand called Finisterre, Mm -hmm. which Finisterre is a hyper-ecological brand coming out of England. And they support amazing athletes, amazing projects that are looking to increase that idea or, you know, promote that idea that you can be a sustainable company for profit and support support groups that are trying to talk about this idea of keeping things healthy. So Finisterre works very closely with Surface Against Sewage, works very closely with University Exeter, and they all work together to form this trifecta where you have public, private, and academia coming together on a central idea to keep our water clean. And now you have all these different levels of perspective that are communicating idea, and it's a lot easier for now policy to be influenced through that the general public and i, I think it's just a it's really kind of
0: the three-prong side and trying right there exactly
1: <laughs> and it, it's pretty innovative and yeah. really progressive I mean, you're
0: talking about potentially government-funded research through academia mm-hmm. and peer review communities coinciding with non-governmental organizations or non-profits and then coinciding or interfacing with the public sector and or commercial private sector and then kind of all that web being bridged together for a
1: Everyone is saying the same thing. Our right. waters need to be clean. Right. So now that hopefully can help facilitate the change. You talk right. about shifting consciousness. Yeah. They're approaching it from all sides. Wow. And I think the states are starting to really move in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some cool partnerships between industry sure. and nonprofits. Um, There's starting to be collaborations through universities. I think that was really evident of the most recent Global Wave Conference put on by Save the Waves Coalition and Surfrider, which really tried to bring together an international community of researchers, academics, industry, and nonprofits to talk about how can we protect these places um, that give us surf together yeah, and how can we help one another and and it's, it's just really awesome to see that yeah that happening and and partnerships are happening you know between different organizations um in the industry
0: well and it seems almost kind of novel in a way because i and i know that this is i know it's a bit of a stereotype and it's my outside impression but i know that even within academia there's its own you know resistance rigidity or even within the sciences to, to you know keep cards close to your chest and, and to sure. not share stuff and whatever it is it is competitive and blah blah and there's a lot of egos flying around and it's pretty amazing like i said it's weird to call it novelty but it seems that way that you know all of a sudden we're getting to this point of of extreme transparency and where we're willing to say hey you know collectively we're going to do a lot better work and have a much greater impact should we actually let down our guard and work sure. together here
1: and I think that's starting to happen with, with different brands. You know, I know, I mean, uh, from what personally, I know about collaborations between companies like Visla and yeah, Surfrider right. that are coming together to try to promote some type of understanding that we need to protect. Sure. And maybe both sides are working to be better yeah. and they can keep each other honest. Yeah. You know, I think these are just important types of conversations to, to have. And nothing is perfect. No brand, no sure. NGO. No academic is perfect, but that taking kind of a page from the you know right now the English, it's pretty cool to see that we have the infrastructure ready. Um, you know, with WSL having their pure component, mm-hmm. um, which is mm-hmm. looking to protect and really educate ocean awareness yeah. throughout the the contest throughout the year. Right. I think that's that's amazing that now you're taking this highly competitive. You know, race to the title, Super Bowl (laughs) type of thing (laughs) that has a component that is trying to at least bring awareness. You have, you know, brands that are, you know, working closely with, you know, different types of labels like, Mm -hmm. you know, sustainable surf, which is giving uh, almost a criteria to be more uh, sustainable in your surfboard manufacturing And then at the end of the day, you have just your local shaper who is yeah. just fine. Like regardless of the labels, regardless of any type of yeah. idea or pressure, they just want to do what's good. And those are using recycled, you know, thinking outside the box materials changing, and, and you know, just pushing you, it. You look at Man Surfboards, what yep. he's doing with just yep. using straight recycled stuff, yeah. you know, and. Danny Hess, yep. that is making yeah. wooden surfboards. Yeah. and Wagner and I uh, just, all kinds of people. I just was up in Santa Cruz at the conference, and I was with uh, Travis Reynolds, yeah. amazing craftsman. And he had a, a Polonia blank sitting at his shop, and he had it wow. for like three years. He was saying, he's like, Cliff, let's make something. And I just brought my alaya, who my friend Brandon Ahuna made, uh-huh. and we shaped an alaya, he made some modifications. And at Set. the end of the day, we wrote it, and there was... The only thing that was not like natural being made was the grinder that he made right, to, right. to shape it. Yeah, there was yeah. we used it was just wood yeah. and oil. Yeah, and and seed or something, yeah. yeah. And it, we wrote it. We from wow. from shaping it at eight o'clock, yeah. I was riding it at steamer lane at twelve o'clock. Oh and that's so cool. I don't know, it just was pretty amazing to see that obviously you need to have amazing craftsmen create sure. things that are are, you know, beneficial to your own type of surfing, but yeah. To know that it's like it's
0: it, But there are the masters of the trade out there. They're there. I mean, sure. to you, to equip them and empower them and, and and create some, you know, demand. You know, the fully. industry side is is all that it takes to really empower that to become full scale.
1: Fully. You know? And as important as it is to have people that are certifying a status quo as is important to have industry and right. some type of standard. It's also really refreshing to see people who just want to make because just can do it regardless if it's sustainable or not that's cool totally and that's yeah amazing to yeah. see too because that's you the know. shit that is like yeah big ups to track. well I
0: mean and it's cool that you brought up you know the sustainable surf component because that was something that I wanted to kind of segue into was it seems like I mean I followed your guys's protest.tv thing pretty closely and that was super cool and it seemed to me like that was a, a really cool pilot project Sort of incorporating this three pronged approach that we were just talking about for Hawaii and, and to be a bit of a, a test, you know, trial. But how did that go? I mean, tell, well, a I guess just explain that for us and what yeah. that, how that was structured.
1: Yeah, the protest was a contest that um, Kahi Pokaro from Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii and I put together to try to actually with a lot of help from Adam Hall from Surfdom in England, but we try to create an incentive for professional surfers to ride, you know, for lack of a better word, eco-surfboards. Right. So we wanted to show that we can make surfboards that perform at the highest level that were made out of recyclable material or bio-based material. And granted that our standard was relatively low, it still showed that we were adopting these technologies. and. I think we did a pretty good job at getting people excited to ride the boards. Um, we created a ten thousand dollar winner take all prize purse for the best performance on these, you know, eco surf boards. We've been announced yet? Not yet. No. Okay. So the I'm gonna
0: spoil anything here.
1: Yeah, there's um there's definitely some competition out there. Yeah. I know some like really amazing servers from the North Shore and people that came to the North Shore, they've been riding these eco boards. We had I think about twelve boards that were made with either recycled EPS foam or bio-based resins, mm-hmm. or even alternative cloth to fiberglass. Right. We gave them the whole winter to go out surf, get an edit, submit the edit, and now it's going to be online on uh, Surfer Mag, to people can vote, mm-hmm. and once people vote for the best you know, edit, then there's going to be a panel of judges. Right. That, I'm not a part of. Right. But these yeah. judges will then yeah, choose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they will choose the best winner, and they're going to win the $10,000. And then the public are going to be able to ride these boards as well. if they awesome. If they want to ride them and mm-hmm. see what they feel like. So it's almost like we're taking the boards in places where we want to see the boards get taken. Yep. And then we're offering the public an opportunity to ride it in the waves they want it. Well, what um, better
0: place than than, you know, the global testing ground for everybody and everything as far as equipment and and persons you know it's like
1: to me just growing up that's what i heard the biggest issue a lot of them are epoxy eps yeah a lot of people are like eps doesn't work epoxy doesn't work so that was a big barrier to be like oh they're too light they don't do this they don't do that so it's like let's just figure it out let's not say if they're good or not let's just test it that's what the whole name came was the Pro Test. we're coming away with clips that i've seen you know, guys like Ezra Sitt, oh, Mikey O'Shaughnessy, on getting so deep, getting yeah. insane waves. They're getting really, really good yeah. waves on them. So to me, it's like, I think that excuse that they don't work at all is not valid anymore. No, now it's just about people wanting to adopt. Maybe people yeah. like old yeah. technology, yeah. which I understand. But dude, that's that's another thing. That's shifting a, personal's pref- a yeah. person's preference. Totally. Totally but don't use that they can't get barreled or they cannot go in the air or they yeah. can't go in a rail. that. That's no longer an argument right. because you know, at the end of the day we all can advertise yeah. it. It's the next best thing, but we have to see it. Well, I mean, I, I've
0: ridden, you know, by the same standards, eco boards, you know, Marco foam and entropy resins and things like that with bioresins and, and man, they're, they're incredible. I mean, there is absolutely, you know, it's a, i think at the end of the day it's like anything else it's a give and take you know right thing for the right place right time you know and also of course there's the person like you said there's your own personal bias and your own personal perspective but like you said that the the rigidity of the old closed-minded arguments really just doesn't stand the test anymore and if anything you know i think people would be really surprised at just how turned on they would be by some of the different experiences they can get out of the materials because i don't know I've, i've had it go both ways you know where my my pu board yeah it does like kind of the stock thing and then I hop on this crazy epoxy and maybe it's stringless or whatever and it just like blows my mind and does a whole different line and changes the way I look at a section you know like that that experience alone of just like being more open-minded I guess to, to the experience of riding the wave instead of like this is the way it's done this is how I do it I don't know not you know not to mention just the fact that like we're talking about, all these incredible, amazing, talented surfers are proving this. It's, it's a well vetted, well-tested concept at this point, at least worthy of trial. Fully. You know.
1: Exactly. It's worth the time to test. Yeah. And another thing I think to mention is that this is very incremental in its econess. It's not, it's no, a it's fraction. base level. You yeah. know, this is base level. So one thing that is really limiting the, the advancement of the technology is the amount of people investing in it. So if there's a way to get more people to, okay, this is going to cost a little bit more, it's worth the experience to try it. Sure. But with every little investment that you do towards getting an epoxy board mm. or whatever it is, that feeds into the industry to advance it, to make it better. Because our long-term goal of the protest is to not keep it at this 25% recycled right. foam or yeah. 30%, 30% bio resin yeah. or we we want to make something that essentially is coming from totally renewable right. that we can get the big manufacturers and local shapers yeah. access right. like we want a distribution set up and for then these it benefits materials. them too in terms of their bottom line and and demand and i think at the end of the day like the carbon footprint is always hard when we talk about that sure, component sure. but if we talk about waste if we can advance the technology where when the board breaks it can be put back into that system to make a new board that to me is the best thing to keep the boards out of the landfill or underneath the house or just sitting around if we can create from that and there's many other creative ways recycling
0: repurposing but also regeneration i mean we're looking at you know mushroom cores and you know i mean polonia and stuff like that i mean it's like or whatever algae foam and shit like that i mean this stuff that potentially the you know with more research that we could be seeing not only recycling, but literally regrowing something different mm. if you want, you know, at the end of the day.
1: Or keeping, keeping a board that will last. I was just, I was just talking to my friend Todd at Surfer, I mean, who was talking with Danny Hess saying mm-hmm. that he wants to be able to have a surfboard pass through generations. One of these wooden surfboards where yeah. it becomes like an heirloom. And like it used to be th- I mean, that's something to think like, you know, when you get your car like, oh, This is my grandpa's car or my dad's mm. car or whatever it is. I, I didn't grow up being yeah. giving any cars, but like I yeah. could imagine that something like that oh, Or, cool. or yeah. maybe like a piano or a bench yeah. or a, something like a knife, whatever it is yep. If you have a surfboard that there's oh, a spirit in it already my grandpa surfed Mavs on this board Yeah, and yeah. that makes you be like, whoa, even if whoa. I don't surf Mavs I can go and surf the yeah. shores on this knowing that this board has uh-huh. the mana inside I was just going to say, there's some mana in that
0: board for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think
1: that's something that has something to be said too. Like, it doesn't yeah. always have to be this eco, bio, no, degradable. Even like not that, that, breaking. <laughs> exactly. Not breaking is pretty easy. Pretty <laughs> it's eco pretty straightforward. Too, you know? Yeah. And I mean, yeah. this is all part of the conversation. We don't have to get lost in the, right. the nitty gritty of the this works, yeah. this doesn't work. It's just that we, we have we have the opportunity to advance the technology if you want to participate awesome yeah. because we want friends embrace that change you know least, and yeah. i think the biggest thing is just having a standard feather glass pu board that is just gonna indent, break, and then it just sends some yellow piece that yeah, we try like to sell for fifty bucks. Yeah. You know, you're taking if you it. You can even sell it. Yeah. You know, you know at the end of the day all yeah. well, this is my, you know, coconut pizza boards yeah. or whatever. And yeah. you're trying to take <laughs> it down and get a wetsuit at the end yeah. of the day, like for like credit or uh-huh. I don't yeah. know, something. Good but luck. Yeah. yeah that's for a, that's sure. a protest, yeah.
0: No, that's awesome. Well, I'm super stoked to hear that. It looked like it went really well and it was super successful for the most part. Um, yeah. I feel like just kind of rounding off some of these themes that um, I guess in my own perception, it seems like it could be something that's a little more contemporary in that we're living in an era where contention around things like facts and logic and reason are kind of all under fire Mm -hmm. and are highly charged with, you know, rhetoric and divisive language, and and we're seeing the results of that, you know, outside of just politics, you know, obviously. But I think that, I guess what I'm getting is what is it that we can, <clears throat> what's one thing you can recommend to people if they want to find a way to approach scientific information, data, high-level cognitive stuff that maybe they don't necessarily have a background in, you know, or, or a foundational level of knowledge in? I, I, I feel like sometimes people kind of get discouraged by that, and I think that, that it's shared. I think that, you know, those who do not have a foundational level of knowledge about, Um, high-level academic pursuits are, you know, a bit judgmental about who those people are, and vice versa, that academia kind of looks down on people, you know, as being stupid or below it or whatever, and and they're kind of not talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really not difficult. I mean, in other words, you can become an autodidact, and you can teach yourself this stuff but I think a lot of people are just so there's so much stigma about how, oh, that's not me. I don't know that I'm not smart mm-hmm. enough or I didn't, you know, yeah. I didn't get the degree or whatever it is. Like, what's something that you could recommend to people that would be some way self-empowering and and to their own autonomous ability to at least understand and digest information and be mm-hmm. able to discern, you know, real Research and real data, you know, peer reviewed stuff from just whatever pops up on your freaking Facebook or your Google or whatever. Like, sure. I don't know. It just seems like there's something being lost there in the communication, you know, that yeah. that we really should be able to think more critically.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, the cop out answer mm. is to go to primary literature. Right. Going to scientific journals. Yep. And, and why I say that's a cop out is because if they're not easily accessible and once you get access to these journals, you, of course, if it's not open source, then you're going to have to pay a premium mm-hmm. to get this information. Once you get the article, it's usually littered with jargon mm-hmm. and um, kind of like highly technical verbiage, which I think is important for the scientific community to, to interpret because that just keeps it very um, objective. But that also times can lead to dead ends and I recognize that, that really a lot of the labor falls on the scientists Mm -hmm. who are responsible to communicating that across the lay community. Um, So that's one way to go, the primary literature. I think the other thing to do is, it, it definitely is a case by case and it depends on what type of information you want to be able to contribute towards. But saying things of being an environmental activist or something like that, understanding what you're the science of environmentalism. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing to do is to really get educated. And that doesn't necessarily mean to be in a classroom or to read papers. It really comes down to taking the time and be diligent and asking the right questions and not and being kind of. Focused and not being distracted by all the sensationalized material that's out there. Right. When really it's difficult to decipher the actual worth from the noise, but if you spend enough time in these types of questions, you can really begin to navigate this is bullshit, this mm-hmm. is reality. And for me, just in terms of the environmental spaces, I just try to be in nature, right. I try to be in the environment. Because there's so much things that you receive by being immersed in that perspective that papers can't tell you. Yeah, otherwise. And teachers can't tell you. So, you know, I was told once, you know, school is not for everyone, but education is. So the more you can get educated, whether it's talking about vaccinations or it's talking about exposure to E. coli or, you know, if it's about. I don't even know like how cell phones might Mm -hmm. give you brain tumors or whatever Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. this this thing is Mm -hmm. It's really think about who is the person that's giving you that information Mm -hmm. and what's their intentions a lot of times we see these types of sources like BuzzFeed and Mm -hmm. Huffington Post and all these things that their end margin is to get people to read and click click Clickbait that's pretty much a lot of people do and they sensationalize these topics to get people indulged in mm-hmm. the drama whereas if you look at a source where it's they don't care if they get any clicks or not because they got an incentive the just to put it out those are sometimes a better way to look at it and the same right. thing is when you hear word of mouth is is this person their whole goal to be an authority or is their goal to actually protect the community because when someone's life is on the line yeah they're going to be you're going to see who's bullshitting and who's not and it's not an easy this is not this is the problem right now yeah, with information right. because
0: we're inundated well it's the art of communicating science too I mean yeah. it's
1: you know it's not easy it's not easy Yeah. but, but two we're so inundated with so much yeah. noise so much noise yeah that it's hard to hear the truth. And even as scientists, we, we constantly try to figure that out. And not even as a scientist, yeah. as just a human. It's like the, you can type in anything on Google oh, you and you're getting 5,000 yeah. 5, searches. And For like, sure. you're getting everything from yeah. like, I don't know, well, anatomy to porno on something that you're just saying like earwax. Yeah, and, and even to the extreme where
0: now we're having people specifically promoting, false information for, for the sake of promoting false information exactly. Too confuse, to create noise. Exactly. Like it's that bad. It's it, like,
1: it is. And like, again, it's just immersing. I feel I try to, I'm not an authority and I, I don't like to give advice cause I don't even know. Yeah. But putting just, you on the spot <laughs> for me, like I just try to really like, I care about the ocean. So I'm going to spend my time in the ocean. Yeah. And I, if I, Remove myself from the place I hope to protect. I know I'm going to fall short of my goal. I just know it. So that what keeps me grounded. That's my biggest teacher, my biggest classroom, my biggest sense of security is being in the ocean. Yeah. And and I think people can can relate with that. And I
0: I couldn't agree more. And I think that that's universal in the sense that if you really just think about what matters to you most, and you you know what you care about most, and you look at that, and instead of saying I, I just can't understand that or, or I couldn't learn more about that. You know, looking at it as more of a growth mentality of like, what more can I learn? What more can I do? How, how much deeper can my understanding become of this ocean of this mountain, you know, of this lake, whatever it is, okay. whatever your thing is that you love and you're connected to or your community, whatever, like instead of abandoning and, and kind of taking the easy way really and just saying, Oh, it's not me or I can't, or, you know, like accepting that challenge
1: and there's usually a resource out there that you can identify with. I think that's something True. to to recognize that okay, I don't really I don't relate to the scientist. I don't relate to the academic. Mm. There's probably someone in that community that has watched it. Yep. Like Seaside Johnny. Right. You know, he's oh, yeah. been seeing that <laughs> that place change for how right. long? Right his yeah, whole life. he's there planting and yeah. he has a crazy life story yeah. that if you yeah. want to ask about how the environment changed in seaside right why not ask seaside Talk johnny older, you know huh? who's been there yeah. in the parking lot for how many years yeah like, then go you find don't, uncle you, you gotta just <laughs> yeah. find someone in your community that yeah. maybe had the same perspective as you that has yeah asked that question i think
0: and, and at the end of the day if that's where you're coming from even if it's a total stranger that you approach that you know i think that for most people it's very um disarming as well as commendable like like they recognize the humanity in your commitment and your passion to wanting to learn more wherever you're starting from fully you know doesn't matter stop thinking about what should or shouldn't be at that point like the fact that you're earnestly trying to expand and challenge yourself for the betterment of something greater than you i think anybody would be willing to help you with and and advise you on. fully yeah right on so real quick before we go what is your earliest memory of water in any form?
1: Okay, earliest memory, I know. This one is really easy for me. Okay, cool. I remember being on my dad's back, and my dad's back felt like the size of, like, the top of a flatbed truck. It yeah. was massive. <laughs> Very well. And I remember <laughs> just, I remember holding on to his neck, and... I mean, it was like a hu- It was like holding a, a huge waist or something. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was my arms were fully barely touching my fingertips. I remember holding on, and it was it was in the ocean. And we were catching a wave, and I remember holding on, and I, I ended up breaking my fingers, and they started slide. I started sliding down mm-hmm. his back, and I remember how slippery his skin was, mm-hmm. and I was trying to like hold on to him, but it, he was just so slippery. And I ended up kind of like sliding down his back into that kind of small part of the lower back. I don't know, like the lumbar yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And I kind of got kind of stuck in between his shoulder <laughs> blades and kind of like his like ass. And yeah. kind of just rocked into there. And I remember just being like kind of safe holding. And then I tried to grab his waist, but his waist <laughs> was way too big. And I just was holding on. And I remember we rode that wave all the way. And I remember just looking to the left and to the right and just feeling the splash on my face. Uh. And it started to burn. Because right, like, right. it started yes. going in so my nice nose. And, up, and like so. I was like, oh, it's really burning, it's really burning. And then I, I actually, like, it didn't feel good. But for some reason, I just felt like, this is where I want to be. Yeah. you know And, and it, we ended up riding off of the... We're on a boogie board. And mm. we ended up going onto the beach. <laughs> and I kind of <laughs> flopped over. Yeah. And I remember him grabbing me and, like, lifting me up. And yeah. I remember... Like my dad just felt like this huge giant and then he's like, We're going back out there and like that that was probably like my first my first experience of water. Wow. To really feel water it was it wasn't even in the ocean, it was actually on the skin of my dad. Yeah, and but
0: the fluidity of that motion and just
1: feeling feeling, feeling that like yeah that that was probably that might have uh, been my first wave might have not been i don't know but i know but I was, that's first memory yeah that was for sure like my Whoa, first that's
0: an epic one. man memory, that's super mental <laughs> if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners of enabling them to better discover their own innate abilities to surf the waves of life in general what would that be
1: what I would appreciate, I don't, I don't want to tell people how to live their life, but... No, I it's,
0: it's more like, what like what have you found is like, what's, what's one meaningful takeaway that surfing has given you that you apply to everything in life? Oh yeah, you
1: know? I, I think surfing is, it, I describe my life through surfing, yeah. through riding waves, sliding on waves. I think there's so much lessons, just being in the ocean, from getting out to the lineup, looking constantly, knowing your environment, respecting others, respecting yourself, knowing that today I might not catch a wave, and that's important. Humility and also confidence to know that I can hang in this situation. It's like surfing, there's so many lessons, and I think that's why so many people do it, because once people switch on to knowing how amazing and metaphorical surfing is in in everyday life, it's just so empowering and again getting back to the idea of waves Mm. the next one it keeps coming right and i think that's maybe the biggest lesson is that no matter what happens there's going to be another and it's about being prepared for that next one there's always another (laughs) another. (laughs) thank you so much dude
0: it was incredible thank you really appreciate it Yeah. yeah that was awesome Two hours, minutes. Time. That's going to do it for our show today, everybody. If you enjoyed what you heard in your time with us, please take a moment to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can find our episodes there or on SoundCloud and Stitcher. If you were turned on by anything in today's episode, please take the time to tell a friend or a loved one about the show. It's listener recommendations and support from people like you that make the show possible. If you think the show deserves to grow and or adds value to your life, you can contribute to your support by donating on Patreon an easy to use crowdfunding platform for creators such as myself. If you're interested in any of the guests or topics covered in the episode, you can find further information about them in the show notes section on iTunes or in the blog posts on our website. Lastly, if you have any thoughts or questions or feedback, any ideas for future guests or topics, you can reach out to me directly at our website at www.offshoreinsightspod.com That's Offshore Insights followed by the letters po Today I leave you with a song by Austin Burns called Habanera. Until next time, be well, keep in touch, and enjoy the ride.